to our services tonight. I know it's kind of a dreary, rainy day outside, but it's nice in here, and uh, we're honored that you're here tonight, especially if you're visiting with us. I have a couple of announcements, reminders uh, for you tonight before we go to class. Uh, today's the last day to look at the church directory and uh, make any necessary changes for that, make sure everything is updated correctly, so please do that. Also, the Golden Circle Luncheon will be this coming uh, Tuesday at 11.30. Our food pantry and clothes closet is going to be open this week as well. I think we had 97 uh, that came last Thursday. And our focus group, our singles group, is going to have a food and fun night on February the 17th uh, at 6 o'clock. Bring finger foods and uh, all adult singles are invited. See Bonnie Warner if you have any questions about that. Also, I really want to emphasize this, and parents, if you've got children, uh, you especially want to pay attention to this. The Valentine's Date Night, Child Care Free, is coming up on February the 17th from four until 10 in the TAC. Uh, this is for ages birth to 12 years old. Please sign up in the foyer. If you're going to do that, I was told that uh, 
snack, uh, you need to send some snacks for your kids, but they're going to provide cheese pizzas. So if you could furnish the drink uh, for your kids and maybe send some snacks. Uh, six hours is a long time to be gone if you take that long. But uh, this is a great thing for uh, uh, our uh, parents and uh, we appreciate the service that this is providing. Let's do keep in mind those that are scheduled for surgery this week. Uh, Brother Luther uh, on Tuesday, Brother Chopper's going in for a biopsy on Wednesday. Uh, Sandra uh, was able to come home today from the hospital, Sandra Green, and uh, we want to continue to remember her and Brother Buster in our prayers as well. So will you please bow with me as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us. We're so mindful of your goodness and mercy toward us, Father. We pray for those that we've mentioned tonight and others that need our prayer in regard to sicknesses and uh, surgeries and so forth, Father. Please bless them as only you can. And again, Father, for those that have lost loved ones, uh, we ask that you would be with them and bless them. Fathers, we go to our classes tonight. May we be mindful of your word and make application to it to our lives. And may we always put our faith and trust in you in all things. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hold on. I'll be singing Jesus Loves Me. The first verse. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me.
Bible authority, which we're doing some of that now, but it's important for us to understand uh, some, <clears throat> some concepts about properly establishing authority. And then we're going to get to the so-called five acts of worship, why we do what we do. I think that's important for us to understand, and it's important for us to be able to articulate that uh, to people that may question us from time to time. Now, we've just begun to uncover the treasures to be found in a study of worship. Uh, there's no way that time would ever allow, or a lifetime e even is not enough, to explore fully uh, the depths of what it means to worship our infinite creator. Uh, we cannot understand everything about worship, but that limitation doesn't mean that we can know nothing about it. Uh, what God has revealed to us in his word is certainly available to us, uh, Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. I don't like to spend time uh, teaching the Bible by dealing with speculation. Uh, there are certain things that we have to just speculate about we don't know. But we do know what God has revealed to us. What God has revealed to us can be known. And when it comes to worship, we may not know nearly everything about it, but what God has revealed to us about worship, uh, we can certainly understand and we can put into practice. And so let's go just a little more deeply uh, into the idea of worship than what we did last week. I want to suggest to begin with, and these are on your lesson sheet, that worship is our response to the initiative of God. Worship is our response to the initiative of God. Man didn't invent worship, did he? God did. And uh, notice what Jesus said in John 4 and verse 23. He said, The hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Father also revealed in Isaiah 43 and verse 21, This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. And so worship is our response to the initiative of God. God invented worship. God desires that we worship him. And in view of everything that God has done for us, especially as his people, we worship him. Also, I want to point out to you that worship is overflow from a spirit-filled life. You know, whenever we come and assemble together to worship God, we ought never to come with empty buckets, right? Instead, we ought to come with our bucket overflowing, and we literally pour that out into our worship. Worship is overflow from a spirit-filled life. Notice what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, in verse 3. He said, we are the circumcision. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that we are the covenant people of God, right? Circumcision was a sign that physical Israel belonged to God, right? The males 
Uh, something happened, didn't it? Or is that just okay? Uh, it was a sign, you know, uh, that they were God's people. Today, children of God are the circumcision. We are God's people. It says we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. We rejoice in Christ, and we have no confidence in the flesh. And so, as a result of being spirit-filled, we come to worship and we empty our buckets, so to speak, rather than have them filled up. Notice Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 beginning, a familiar passage. The Bible says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now keep that passage in mind. I think the parallel passage is Colossians 3 and verse 16. See, Ephesians 2, 18 says, Be ye filled with the Spirit. How is that done? Well, let Colossians 3 and 16 answer that. Let the Word of Christ... Dwell in you richly. That's how we're filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 says, Be ye filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And so we need to realize that worship is the overflow of a Spirit-filled life. Then also notice that worship starts with a conscious choice to enter the presence of God. In Psalms 95 and verse 2, the writer said, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. You know, worship is intentional. We come consciously making the choice to go before the presence of God. Now, I mentioned four factors of worship last week just to uh, allow you to think about that as we look at this further. Four things. Worship is what? Number one, intentional. We don't worship God accidentally. It's also what? Internal. We have to worship God in spirit. It's also vertical, right? It's directed toward God, and therefore... We do those things that are pleasing to God. And then, worship is momentary. Worship begins and worship ends. All right, the next point is, truth has everything to do with worship. Uh, Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4 and verse 24, God is spirit, those who worship him must worship him how? Spirit and in truth. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 47 and verse 7, For God is the king of all the earth, seeing praises with understanding. You see, that has everything to do with truth. We need to make sure that we sing the kind of songs that exemplify the truth found in God's word. Truth has everything to do with worship. If we don't worship in truth, our worship is just vain and worthless. (coughs) Okay. 
Luther said, Matthew 15, verse 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Also, we need to realize that worship is the acknowledgement that life is not about us. I think that's important to understand. You know, one of the characteristics of our culture today, and I might just throw this out there for you to, to kind of chew on, there's really four characteristics of uh, our culture today and people in this world. First of all, people are self-oriented. That's true, isn't it? What's in it for me? That's how people are today. What's in it for me? When people uh, uh, want to choose a church, what do, they, what do they ask? What can this church do for me? What can it do for my children? How can I benefit from this church? You know, John F. Kennedy said what? That's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So generally speaking, when you go out into the, the community, people are self-oriented. Number two, people are theologically deficient. They couldn't tell you if Romans was in the New Testament or the Old Testament. You know, it used to be, you know, 40 or 50 years ago that the Bible was even used as a textbook in school, you know. But people are generally theologically deficient. They don't have much knowledge of the Word of God. You know, it used to be that preachers could stand before people and they can say, now, you recall the story of Joseph, don't you? Can't do that anymore, hardly can you? You know, with a lot of people, they, they never heard the story of Joseph. You know, they haven't heard the, the basic stories that we learned as children in Bible class. So people are self-oriented. What's in it for me? People are theologically deficient. And people are politically correct. You know, they want to be politically correct. You know, this environment that we uh, live in today, we call it, you know, I guess you could call it woke theology, you know. People want to change concepts. They don't want to, you know, to, to cause any problems or ruffle any feathers, you know. It's like the new definition of sin that's out there today is anything that lowers your self-esteem. That would be sin, maybe. And so you won't hear any of these televangelists preach about sin, right? Or anything doctrine as far as, you know, being distinctive. It really worries me, and this is not true of nearly all the churches, but in larger churches, in larger communities and cities today, young people are growing up and they're not learning about the distinctive nature of the church. They're not learning about, you know, the undenominational nature of the church. And sadly, in some of these larger churches, uh, they grow up and they don't really see any difference between us and a so-called, quote, denominational church. They just really don't see a difference. So people are theologically deficient. So they're self-oriented, right? Next, they're theologically deficient. They're politically correct. And the last one, they are entertainment-driven. They are entertainment-driven. We want to be entertained. They want to be entertained when they go to church too, don't they? thing about that is, that doesn't last too, too well. Uh, what we're going to see, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this, those that have chosen to bring people in because of entertainment will soon lose their edge. That's not something that's going to hold people uh, to the church at all. may be good for a while, but we just can't compete with the movies, you know. We can't compete with Star Wars and Taylor Swift. and all. I shouldn't have said that, right? The Super Bowl's on tonight, should I? 
Uh, you know, we, we can't compete with all that, can we? There's no way we can compete with all that. Don't want to compete with that. Uh, that's just my opinion. Maybe one reason why God chose to uh, want us to use a cappella music. That's just uh, my own uh, theory, maybe, because we need to be different from everybody else. But those are four characteristics of the world in which we live. And uh, truth has everything to do with worship, and worship is the acknowledgement that life is not about us. The Bible says in Psalms 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And so worship acknowledges the fact that it's all about God. What I want and what I desire pales into total insignificance. And then let me point out as well that worship is seeking God and proclaiming what we have found. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. The psalmist declared, Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Psalms 22 and verse 26. And so we are to be the kind of people that are continually seeking God. We are continually searching for God. We want to know God's Word. We want to grow more and more every day into the likeness of Christ. And as we do that, worship is seeking God and proclaiming what we found. And then let me suggest this. Worship is the natural outpouring of a holy life. Now think about that just for a minute. It's the natural outpouring of a holy life. You know, an athlete, naturally, is what? Going to do those workouts that are necessary for him to be continue, for him to continue to be successful in whatever sport he's in, right? That's just the natural uh, outpouring of living and, and doing that kind of thing. You want to do that. You know, some people are, uh, I guess they, they go a long ways when it uh, comes to staying in shape and things of that nature. Everything is geared toward that. Well... Worship is the natural outpouring of a holy life. Psalms 29 and verse 2, Give unto the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You can't live a holy life and not worship God. Worshiping God is naturally going to take place because of a holy life. God said, you shall be holy. Why? I, the Lord your God, am holy. You know, the holiness of God is a unique study in and of itself. We could spend a quarter itself just studying the holiness of God. But we want to be more like God. We want to become holy like God is holy, and naturally we're going to worship. And so God tells us how He wants us to worship. He tells us whether it's a personal, private thing or whether we are to express our worship in a group. God commands us to worship. It's not a matter of whether or not we feel like it. It's not an optional matter. God has given no choice. We are to worship Him. Now, this point here brings us to the theme of what I want to really emphasize in this particular lesson. Does worship 
occur only in the assembly or does it occur also outside our corporate time together? Now, think about that for just a minute. Does worship occur only in the assembly or does it occur also outside our corporate time together? Now, this is a question that I believe is very, very important because there's some brethren today who advance the view that worship is what occurs within the church building in keeping with a unique set of rules that apply there, but nowhere else. And uh, this particular view often disallows instrumental music and spiritual songs within the church building, but it might allow it when it occurs elsewhere. This would also disallow women leading prayer in the presence of men uh, in the church building, but it would allow them to maybe lead prayer at other times when men and women are together. So you see, some people have tried to develop two sets of rules, right? One for our assembly together in worship, and another set for other times when we might worship. Now, I find this very interesting because at the time the scriptures were written, there were no church buildings. Have you realized that? Uh, the early church did not have a church building, according to Everett Ferguson, a great scholar, till around 240 A.D. So if you want to make this uh, uh, and say that, you know, there's rules for our corporate worship inside the church building and that there's other rules for worship outside the church building, they didn't know anything about a church building, really, when uh, the scriptures were written. So I want us to look at Old Testament examples. <coughs> oh, sorry. I want us to look at uh, Old Testament examples of worship. A brief tour of the scriptures to find the word worship allows the context of the passages to tell us when and where worship occurred. Now, Genesis chapter 24, verses 26 through 27, we read there about how Abraham's servant had been sent to find a wife for Isaac. And when he found her, notice what the text says. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. Now, this is clearly individual worship outside of the worship assembly. Uh, also, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, the Bible says in Exodus 4, 29-31, Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the children of Israel so the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Later, when they were preparing for the Passover, in chapter 12, verse 27, the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Now look at some private worship examples here. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 8 and 9, Moses went alone to meet God after the people had sinned. And notice what the Bible says. So Moses made haste. He bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. When Joshua stood before the commander of the army of the Lord, in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 14, the Bible says, He fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. 
And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And of course, before the battle with the Midianites, Gideon worshipped. If you look at Judges 7 in verse 15, the Bible says, And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. You recall Job in Job chapter 1. He lost his children. He lost all of his earthly possessions. He was inflicted with horrible boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. But notice Job 1 in verse 20. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground and worshipped. Now let's look at some corporate worship settings in the Old Testament. You'll recall when Hannah and Samuel had stood before Eli. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26, Hannah said, O oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord, as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. Now, that's corporate worship involving two or three people in a private setting. Or in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, in verse 3, the children of Israel dedicated the temple. And the Bible says, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord. That's corporate worship in a public worship service. You'll recall when Hezekiah restored the temple worship. Notice what the scripture says in 2 Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 28. Now just hang in there with me. You'll see where I'm going with all this in a minute. The Bible says, So all the assembly worshipped, the singers sang, the trumpeters sounded, all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished the offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worship. You see, this passage reflects corporate worship in a public setting. Another example of corporate public worship is when Ezra read the law to the people in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 6. The Bible says, And Ezra blessed the Lord the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their heads. And they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Well, let's turn to the New Testament and look at some examples of worship in the New Testament. Uh, you think about some private worship settings here. In Matthew 8 and verse 2, uh, the leper worships privately. The Bible says, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 25, a Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed approached Jesus. And the Bible says, Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. In Mark 5 and verse 6, the demon-possessed man in the country of the Gadarenes 
had an encounter with Jesus. And the Bible says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. See, both of these examples are examples of private worship. James proclaims the value of private worship in James 5 and verse 13. He said, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. There's corporate worship in private settings as well. Uh, New Testament examples of corporate worship in private and in public settings uh, begin in the book of Matthew. You'll recall when the wise men found Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 2 and verse 11, they, uh, the Bible says when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's corporate worship in a private setting. Uh, You'll recall when Jesus calmed the storm, and you can imagine the disciples' reaction to Jesus saying to that storm, peace be still, there was instant calm. And in Matthew 14, verse 33, the Bible says, Then those that were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's another example of corporate worship in a private setting. In Matthew 28, in verse 9, the Bible tells the story of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary after the resurrection. The Bible says, As they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. And so they came, held him by the feet, and worshipped him. This time, they engaged in corporate worship in a private setting. We also find examples of corporate worship in public settings. In Matthew 9 and verse 18, uh, Jairus approaches Jesus while Jesus is still teaching. And the Bible says, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. Or when Jesus healed a man of blindness in John chapter 9, verse 38, then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This man was worshipping privately in a public setting. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible speaks of Jesus in the assembly. Notice what it says here. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praises to you. Now that certainly is corporate worship in a public setting. Uh, Corporate worship is described again when the 11 apostles saw the resurrected Lord in Matthew 28 and verse 16. The Bible says, Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now quickly, what conclusions can we draw concerning worship from these particular scriptures? Well, I think it's very apparent that worship is not confined just to the assembly. Worship can and must occur both corporately and privately. And what we're really going to notice in in a future lesson is that rules for worship are the same. 
whether your worship is in public or in private. And some of these distinctions that people have conveniently made, I think, evaporate in light of when and where worship occurs. And that's why I want to admonish all of us to make up our minds that we're going to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I wanted to share some things with you now as we kind of conclude this lesson. I wanted to have a handout for you. I just didn't get around to making it. But, you know, we need to be encouraged when it comes to worshiping God. Oftentimes we invite people to worship with us. Come worship with us. Please worship God with us this Sunday. Worship with us because God desires it, and He deserves it, does He not? Does God not desire that we worship Him? Does He not deserve our worship? Come worship with us because you love God. I want to worship God because I love Him, and I'm in debt to Him for all that He's done to me. And so I worship God because I love Him. He loved us, and so we should love Him. We also need to say worship with us because the forever family reunion ought to be the highlight of our week. Every first day of the week, you know, we assemble here as the family of God, and that ought to be the highlight of your week. We already talked about how that you know, if, if you live a holy life, you can't help but worship. We talked about how you need to be spirit-filled, and, and we just can't wait, if we're children of God, to empty our buckets in worship to God. And just think about how that attitude would just change everything about how we worship, right? You wouldn't see all this uh, nonchalant stuff, people not even opening their mouths to sing, and, you know, when's it going to get over with? Checking the clock, checking the time. You know, if our hearts are really into it, those things aren't going to matter. Worship with us because an assembling saint deeply offends our enemy, the devil. Now, we don't want to offend anybody, but we do want to offend the devil, don't we? And when we worship God sincerely, when a saint comes and a saint worships God, that offends the devil. You need to worship with us because your presence strengthens the church. When you choose to assemble to worship God corporately, you strengthen the assembly. You know, the Hebrews writer said, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You see, when we choose to come and assemble with the saints... We're encouraging, we're admonishing one another unto love and good works. But the opposite is also true when we make the choice not to assemble. Worship with us because you are blessed by remembering the amazing sacrifice of Jesus. You know, it's wonderful when we partake of the Lord's Supper as we did this morning and we remember what our Lord did for us on the cross. That remembering leads us and it stirs uh, an attitude of praise and devotion for the one who made our salvation possible. Also worship with us because you appreciate 
all that God has done, is doing, and will do to bless your life. How important is God to us? Well, it's in Him we live and move and have our very being. We fail to realize sometimes without God we would be nothing. And because we appreciate everything that God has done and continues to do and will do, we need to worship Him. Worship with us because you'll be better equipped to face the struggles and the challenges and the temptations of life. That's not to say that, you know, worship is all there is to that. We certainly need to be strengthened with the Word of God, right? Strengthened by His mind in the inner man. But certainly when we assemble together to worship God, we're going to be much better equipped as we go out into the week to face those challenges and temptations that we deal with. Also worship with us because you want to teach your spouse. You want to teach your children and your grandchildren and all those that you love that God always comes first. And there's no greater lesson that you can teach your children and grandchildren than if they grow up knowing that we're going to be in the assembly of the saints. You know, if we can do it health-wise or otherwise. There's no other alternative. We're going to be here to worship God. That teaches them that God has to be first. Also worship with us because you enjoy the opportunity to sing and to pray and to give and to study with others. You know, the Bible talks about our singing. It's, it's reciprocal, right? You know, the Bible uses reciprocal pronouns. You sing as you're being sung to. That's congregational worship. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It is reciprocal in nature. And we are talking and encouraging one another as they're doing the same for us. You think about our prayers together and the strength that that gives us when we can go to God in prayer and pray for those that are in need. There's just something special about being able to do that. Or when we join together in our giving, in that act of worship, we're giving to God of our means, of our flesh, and our blood, and our sweat, of ourselves. As we sacrifice and give money to God, and thus allow the Word of God to be preached through a lost and dying world. Worship with us because when you miss a family reunion, other Christians are discouraged. You know, it is discouraging to me personally. If I know that somebody's not here, they don't have a good reason. I've had people, since I'm a preacher, come to me and say, Doug, I sure hope you understand why I'm not there. That shouldn't matter to them at all, should it? Don't matter if I, I care about it, does it? It matters what God thinks. You know, that's between you and God. You know, God knows whether you can or cannot be present, you know, for the assembly of the saints. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, does it? What matters is what God thinks. Also, worship, <coughs> worship with us because you literally have nothing better to do. What do we have more important than worshiping God? You know, putting aside our thoughts, all the worries that cumber our minds, and 
We assemble and we focus solely on worshiping God. It changes our attitude, doesn't it? It changes our outlook on life. Knowing that we have a God that loves us and will be with us through difficult times and is there for us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so worship God because you don't really don't have anything else to do. And then I'll mention this. The Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, of course, the book of Hebrews was written primarily to keep Jewish Christians <clears throat> from going back to Judaism. You know, there was a danger there that they would return to the inferior. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to point out throughout the book that Jesus Christ is greater than Moses, right? The law of Christ is greater than the law of Moses. The covenant of Christ is greater than the covenant of Moses. The sacrifice of Jesus is far greater than the sacrifices that were offered in Old Testament times. And in Hebrews 10, he says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let's hold on to it. Don't give up. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need to take worshiping God, I think, much more seriously than we do sometimes. We need to think about our worship. And so I hope you'll think about that between now and uh, next Sunday. We're going to continue some introductory material just about worship itself before we go into more specific things. But... We've got three or four minutes. Is there any questions or comments that y'all want to make? Anything y'all want to add? I wanted to give y'all some time to maybe ask questions if there's something that's on your mind that, that, I, that I might could help you with. Or I could just say, I don't know. But we'll let JT answer. Anybody got any questions? Do you understand why we went through these examples of worship tonight? I hope you understand why we did this. There is no difference in what we do regarding public worship and private worship. There is one distinction that, that we'll make later on regarding the Lord's Supper, though. But we just need to understand that worship is to be the way that God would have it. Any more comments? If not, I'll close us out in a prayer. Whoa, 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 what? <clears throat> Maybe, maybe not. I study my Bible, but that's not necessarily mean I'm worshiping. I can sing a song and hear a religious song and not worship. Just because it uses the name of God or Jesus, that doesn't necessarily mean I worship. If that's true, that means we could never even hum a, hum a song, you know. I don't think that's necessarily worship. I think it could be, you know, depending on... The, the key here, remember we said that intent. Intent is the key. Intent. Sometimes I'll sit down and I may read my Bible just for the sheer enjoyment of it, right? That doesn't necessarily mean I'm worshiping. See, we can get into a big problem when we start thinking every time we mention something religious, it's worship. We get ourselves in a, a pickle if we, if we have that attitude. It's all or nothing. Some people do that, but, you know, I just... I believe the intent means everything in regard to worship. Anybody else? If not, let's close with a prayer. Oh. Worship me first. We were teaching the first. Our, our, the 
Your, your direction when you're teaching somebody is toward that person. I agree with that. Is it okay to pray now? All right. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we've had the opportunity to be here tonight to study your word. Uh, we're so thankful for all that you do for us, and may we ever stand in awe and in amazement for who you are and for what you've done for us. Father, bless each person here throughout the week. We pray for those that are scheduled for surgeries and procedures or those that are recovering. Please be with them as only you can, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.